Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 89 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question How did the personality and character of Jesus set an example for his people? So, happy Saturday, friends. How's everybody out there doing in quarantine land? Uh, We're going crazy over here, all seven of us. Uh, It's difficult um, trying to uh, maintain the security of the perimeter when you have uh, teenagers that are tired of being in quarantine. And it's only been, I don't know, eight, nine days. Uh, Sort of feels like eight or nine months, but uh, I think eight or nine days for us. Uh, Wow. I want to invite you to check out our website, Bible Reading Podcast. Uh, You can find show notes and all sorts of good stuff there. Lots of articles. Every episode has a long article that goes along with it. I want to invite you to share the show on social media, on Facebook, with your friends, on Twitter, whatever. Uh, As I say frequently, but haven't said in a long time, the goal of this show is to get more people reading the Bible and listening to the Bible. And when you share the show, every now and then we'll pick up a listener or two. And I, I notice it because sometimes those listeners will download like 20, 30 uh, and somebody downloaded like 90-something episodes at one time going all the way back into the old version of this podcast, uh, which was the Bible Mystery Podcast. So keep sharing the show. Let people know about it. I'm sure my friends are a little sick of hearing about it, but your friends may not be. So let them know about the show. Point them to Bible Reading Podcast or just tell them they can search for Bible Reading Podcast on their podcast client. And if you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, man, a good review would be really encouraging and helpful right now. So I hope you're getting a walk every day, especially those of you who are in the uh, shelter-in-place order situation. Walks and sunlight, as much as we can give them, I think is really helpful. Allow me to urge you to press into the Lord right now in prayer. Uh, I think we Christians must pray in the midst of this crisis. Uh, Let the Son of God find faith on earth in his people now, as Luke 18, 1 through 9 kind of points us to. Last night before bed, I was enjoying a nice uh, solo evening walk, which is something I do frequently before bed, and listening to a really absorbing podcast. I think it was a true crime podcast, if I remember correctly, and I felt the nudging of the Spirit just say, hey, pray. And so I took my earbuds out and had a really wonderful time of communion and intercession with God. We Christians, we need to prioritize abiding in Christ right now more so than ever in this season. We need to be praying for healing, for cures, for brilliant scientists, for repentance in our leaders and from deliverance uh, of this plague. Um, I I took a walk tonight with uh, our 12-year-old and she was like, Daddy, I'm just tired of this. Uh, Why are we still in the middle of it? And I'm tired of it too. And this may be the front end of it rather than the middle or the back end. But let us pray. Let us seek the face of the Lord. Today's Bible passages are Exodus 39, Proverbs 15, John 18, and Philippians 2, which is our focus passage. In that chapter, Paul gives us one of the deepest descriptions of the person and character of Jesus. So let's read the passage, particularly focusing on verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2 verse 1, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
If any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt The same attitude is that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world." by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow." For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So, a lot of scholars believe that sort of beginning with somewhere either verse 5 or verse 6, that passage uh, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. That passage maybe is an early hymn of the church that Paul was quoting, or a creed that was repeated among Christians, or actually both, which is why these verses are set apart in many modern Bibles. They are written in a chiastic structure, which is indicative of ancient and modern poetry. 
Further, this section doesn't use words in word order in quite the same way that Paul usually wrote, which seems to indicate at least that there's a possibility that somebody other than Paul wrote the hymn creed that we're talking about today, and Paul was sharing it, not in a plagiaristic way, but as a reference that they would all be familiar with. Now, it's very possible Paul could have written this creed him as well. Uh, from a scholarly point of view, this passage is kind of important for a variety of reasons, including the fact that Philippians was probably written by Paul, maybe the early 50s, maybe the mid 50s, but the creed would have been earlier than that, especially if they were familiar with it, perhaps much earlier. At like the creed found in 1 Corinthians 15, it demonstrates that early Christians prior to the writing of Paul's letter worshipped Jesus as Lord, that, that his resurrection and his, um, some critics would say it was the later church way after the, the life of Jesus that uh, began to worship him as the son of God. Well, look, the, this creed and other creeds and the earliness of the New Testament really argues against that. But you know what? We're not here to talk about scholarly things today. We're here to talk about the character of Jesus. So notice the intro here. According to Paul, Christians are to adopt the same attitude that Jesus had. More literally, Paul says here in the Greek that Christians should have the mind, or we could probably say the mindset of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a few things reading through the passage. It means that Christians are saved children of God, but like Jesus, we are not to seek to exploit that status or use it to our advantage. Like Jesus, we are to take the form and nature and character and role of a servant. The Greek word there is doulos, which is often translated as slave. But since when I say the word slave, most Americans and Westerners think of that monstrosity of racial racial slavery, which is probably not what Paul meant. Probably meant some, Paul meant something more along the ideas of a bond servant. And so we're to take the nature and character of a bond servant. Like Jesus, we are to humble ourselves and be willing to serve others. Not only be a servant, but actually to serve, even in menial ways. Like Jesus, we are to humble ourselves and obey God, even when he calls us to difficult things, difficult and painful things. The good news is, Jesus living a humble, obedient, and servant-hearted lifestyle that was characterized by suffering was greatly glorified by his Father afterwards. That promise is also given to Christians who follow the mindset and attitude of Jesus in a lot of places in the Bible. For instance, 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure we will also reign with him. Or Romans eight sixteen and 17, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if, that's a big if there, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see those last two passages? Our status as reigning co-heirs with Jesus seems to be somehow connected to having the mindset and the endurance and the suffering of Jesus. Likewise, 2 Corinthians 1, 7, our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so also you will share in the comfort. And I want to close out this discussion and get into the rest of our Bible passages today with some fantastic words from Pastor Tim Keller on this passage. 
This is what Keller says. What did Jesus do? Here's what he did. This is the heart of it all. Right in the center of this passage, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Do you know what that Greek word is? Kenosis. Does it sound familiar to you? It says he emptied himself. Though he was God, he emptied himself. Side note, kenosis means emptying himself. Keller talks about that earlier in the sermon. Continuing, the big question theologians have been asking for about 2,000 years is, emptied himself of what? Paul doesn't say here. It just says he emptied himself. Some people say, of course he was God, so he emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his divinity. But that's not what it says. It never says he gave up being God. It says he started being a servant. He did not shed his divine nature. He assumed a human nature. And more than that, he became not just a king. He became a servant. There it is. He emptied himself of his glory, not his deity. If you were transported to heaven then or now and you saw Jesus as God, his godness manifested itself through an expression of glory. His beauty, his brightness, it would just knock you down. When you see something beautiful, when you see a piece of art or a waterfall or anything that's just absolutely beautiful, even earthly things are beautiful, you have to adore right? It's so glorious, says Keller. It just evokes adoration. Jesus Christ came without that. Isaiah 53 says, he had no beauty that we should desire him. He emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his beauty. He emptied himself of that which evokes honor. He came and he was lonely and poor. Eventually he was beaten, tortured, and killed. He emptied himself of his glory. He became small, not a king at all. He became rejected. He became beatable and he was beaten. He became rejectable and he was rejected. He lost all of his glory. He came without his glory. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself of his glory. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Why? Why is he resurrected? Why is he up there? Because he saved us. He took our punishment upon himself. He redeemed a new humanity, and he's leading us into the future. So there it is. There's the trajectory. What's the trajectory? The way up is down. The way to be truly rich is to give away. The way to rule is to serve. The way to become infinitely happy is not to seek your own happiness, but to seek the happiness of others. The most glorious thing of all, the greatest form of glory, is to give away your glory for somebody else. The word kenosis, meaning to empty, shows up twice. Look at it. You and I are desperately trying to fill ourselves with glory, but we end up empty. Jesus Christ, who had true glory, emptied himself so he could be full. Full? Yes, because Jesus Christ became small, we are big in the eyes of the Father. Because Jesus Christ lost all of his glory, we are now given his righteousness and his record. This is what the gospel is. Jesus Christ was treated the way we deserve, so now when we believe in him, we are treated the way he deserves to be treated. Do you know what this means? Jesus looks at you and says to to me and in me, You are more precious than all the jewels that lie beneath the earth. To the degree that you know and believe that, to the degree you are gripped in praising God and singing about Jesus' trajectory for you, you will be able to walk that same trajectory here on earth because you will know the way up is down. The way to be rich is to give away. The way to be happy is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of others. When you see he did that for you, that 
fills you up so you're not empty anymore. You'll be able to not have to think about yourself and out you go. Great word from our friend Tim Keller there. Now let's read our other Bible passages starting with Exodus chapter 39 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. They made specially woven garments for ministry in the sanctuary and the holy garments for Aaron from the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Bezalel made the ephod of gold, of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely spun linen. They hammered out thin sheets of gold, and he cut threads from them to interweave with the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and the fine linen in a skillful design. They made shoulder pieces for attaching it. It was joined together at its two edges. The artistically woven waistband that was on the ephod was of one piece with the ephod, according to the same workmanship of gold, of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely spun linen, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they mounted the onyx stones, surrounded with gold filigree settings, engraved with the names of Israel's sons as a gem cutter engraves a seal. He fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the Israelites, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the embroidered breastpiece with the same workmanship as the ephod of gold of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and of finely spun linen. They made the breastpiece square and folded double, nine inches long and nine inches wide. They mounted four rows of gemstones on it. The first row was a row of carnelian, topaz, and emerald. The second row, a turquoise, a lapis lazuli, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They were surrounded with gold filigree in their settings. The twelve stones corresponded to the names of Israel's sons. Each stone was engraved like a seal with one of the names of the twelve tribes. They made braided chains of pure gold cord for the breastpiece. They also fashioned two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and attached the two rings to its two corners. Then they attached the two gold cords to the two gold rings on the corners of the breastpiece. They attached the other ends of the two cords to the two filigree settings, and in this way they attached them to the ephod shoulder pieces in front. They made two other gold rings and put them at the two other corners of the breastpiece on the edge that is next to the inner border of the ephod. They made two more gold rings and attached them to the bottom of the ephod's two shoulder pieces on its front, close to its seam, above the ephod's woven waistband. Then they tied the breastpiece from its rings to the rings of the ephod with a cord of blue yarn so that the breastpiece was above the ephod's waistband and did not come loose from the ephod. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the woven robe of the ephod entirely of blue yarn. There was an opening in the center of the robe like that of body armor with a collar around the opening so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of finely spun blue, purple, and scarlet yarn on the lower hem of the robe. They made bells of pure gold and attached the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate alternating all around the lower hem of the robe to be worn for ministry. They made it just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the tunics of fine woven linen for Aaron and his sons. They made the turban and the ornate headbands of fine linen, the linen undergarments of finely spun linen, and the sash of finely spun linen, expertly embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made a medallion, the holy diadem, out of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving on a seal, 
holy to the Lord. They attached a cord of blue yarn to it in order to mount it on the turban, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So all the work for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent with all its furnishings, its clasps, its supports, its crossbars, and its pillars and bases. If the the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of fine leather, the curtain for the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles in the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps arranged and all its utensils, as well as the oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the screen for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grate, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the courtyard, its posts and bastes, the screen for the gate of the courtyard, its ropes and tent pegs, and all the furnishings for the service of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the specially woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary, the holy garments for the priests Aaron, and the garments for his sons to serve as priests. The Israelites had done all the work according to everything the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected all the work they had accomplished. They had done just as the Lord commanded them. Then Moses blessed them. Proverbs chapter 15. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. The house of the righteous has great wealth, but trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise broadcast knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more human hearts. A mocker doesn't love one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. A joyful heart makes a face cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. A discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the oppressed are miserable, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. A slacker's way is like a thorny hedge, but the way of the upright is a highway. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Foolishness brings joy to one without sense, but a person with understanding walks a straight path. Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. A person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word. How good that is! For the prudent, the path of life leads upward so that he may avoid going down to Sheol. The Lord tears apart the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. The Lord detests the plans of the one who is evil, but pleasant words are pure. The one who profits dishonestly troubles his household, but the one who hates bribes will live. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Bright eyes cheer the heart. Good news strengthens the bones. 
One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. John chapter 18. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas who betrayed him was also standing with him. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said. I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that time, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the father has given me? Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing there with him, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the word, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret." Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answered the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly... Why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would have they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charges do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, You take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone else to death, anyone to death, the Jews declared. 
They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is... My kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. After he'd said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. And thus ends John chapter 18. May the Lord be with you, my friends, as you go through this deepest of trials. He is faithful. Cling to him. Turn to Jesus. May he bless you. God speed.